0: Welcome to Chumming It Up with Shark and Gif. Alongside of us tonight is Jared Weiss, Celtics staff writer at The Athletic. He also does whispering into the bites on the Grant and Taco Show and the Daily Ding. What's happening, Jared?
1: You know, I should have come up with some sort of large, water-based family to be uh, for the purposes of the show. I'm just here to dolphin around with you guys. You know how it is. Ah, I like go. it. Well
0: done. How's uh how's life? How's uh Corona treating you? It's good. It's good. Corona's been leaving me alone. I appreciate
1: the respectful distance it's taking with me, but uh I guess it helps that I just stay in my house and don't go anywhere ever. So
2: that's it's been pretty I mean, nice being alone miserable. <laughs> <laughs> at least we got an NBA season, right? Like that's just at least we got sports back and at least we have, you know, some sort of a distraction because without it for a while that got that got pretty dire and that got pretty 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 bad pretty quick.
1: Well, you know what? At least we have Monday Night
2: Football, so i got something to
1: watch. There
0: you go. Very true, very true. So, Jared, um, you're a Celtics staff writer for The Athletic. Obviously, you cover the Celtics. What else do you do there at The Athletic?
1: Uh, I mostly just send gifts to people in the middle of the night when they're trying to get some sleep. Um, besides that, you know, I host The Daily Ding, which is our national morning show. So, right now, we're only doing two a week, so I'm on there once a week. Sometimes once every other week, it's pretty pretty slow right now since the draft is still a little far away. But I do that. I do a bunch of national coverage. I covered the Heat during the finals once the Celtics season was over. I'm working on uh, right now. I have three Google Docs up on my monitors in front of me. We're doing a recast of your NBA award ballot. If you gave the awards out after the season's over, so you know we only do awards for the regular season. But then everyone always says the regular season doesn't matter. It's all about the playoffs. So I've always said, why don't we just do the awards after the playoffs are over? Let's reward people for winning in the playoffs.
0: AKA the LeBron James wins MVP every year award. So
1: I actually talked to all the, pretty much everyone else that votes as, the, as an actual ballot at the Athletic because the NBA is on suit. They're not going to give me a ballot of all people. So uh, we, we were able to get a big panel together. and We're going to have a bunch of revotes. uh I won't spoil the surprise, but LeBron, obviously, has changed MVP in our recast. That's not a surprise. But there's definitely a lot of other interesting stuff that's come out of it. And it's been really interesting to see how
0: um, how differently people take the award balance. For sure. Yeah, it sounds interesting. Yeah, for,
2: yeah, for sure. But um, Kind of before I get into my, my first question, just curious, and a follow-up question to that, was uh, who do you think the bubble benefited more in regards to uh, one player? So which player benefited the most from the bubble? Yep,
1: ah, uh, probably Anthony Davis. Just because even though he was all he was already a star, this now puts him at the top of the game. He's now a champion, all that kind of stuff. But then, you know, no Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray got, got the most. Jamal Murray was like a big question mark as to whether he was even worth the max before
2: the bubble started, and now he's you know a borderline top ten player in the NBA. Sure. Hey, so, um, you know, before we get into uh, Celtics talk, just wanted to chat about some of the, you know, NBA coaching changes. Um, Been a little bit of, um, you know, flux as far as uh, as far as coaching positions are concerned. I wanted to ask you about um, about um, Stan Van Gundy um, going to the Pelicans. Um, I I didn't necessarily understand the hiring. Um, I know that he, you know, uh, he had some obviously he went to a finals with the Magic. He had some. You know, success getting to some of those Pistons teams that he coached into the into the playoffs. But he seems to be a type of guy who, who wears out his welcome uh, wherever he goes. Um, so I just wanted to see what your thoughts were on him going there, whether he has a pretty young roster. And, you know, do you think he's going to mesh with them? You know, I don't agree with that point that he wears out his welcome everywhere he goes.
1: I mean, in Miami, he was really highly regarded as the coach there. And then Pat Riley just decided on taking over the program for a year, so he got rid of Stan for that. Um, which, you know, you could read into it if you want, but Stan obviously has had a long career since that happened. And you go to Orlando, the issue with him was Dwight. It was just Dwight was the problem. Everybody else, uh, he really got the most out of everyone else. And they were a very innovative team back then. They, uh, Stan did some incredible work with that team and really built them into a great defense. So I think that oh and then in Detroit Detroit, I mean, they just drafted him terribly. They haven't had any good talent. He didn't have much talent to work with. And he was he was one of those coaches during that wave, which I thought was insane at the time and we look back at it now. We're like, how did any owner get talked into this? But that was when every single coach was uh, that was a veteran coach was being given the GM position as well. And you you never do that because it doesn't work ninety nine percent of the time. Bob's right. the only person yeah. that can pull it off. And so uh, so you know he he didn't do that good of a job as a GM um, but I thought as a coach he did a decent job kind of squeezing the most that he could out of the little talent that he had to work with so I think he did a, a mediocre but not a horrible job in Detroit uh, and then as far as New Orleans' is fit I mean it's, it's going to be hard to tell what their is going to look like next year but as far as getting somebody that can teach Zion Williamson how to be a great defender which he has the capability of doing I mean Zion could be a, tr- a truly game-changing defender and we all know what kind of score he is. So I just I think that stands the kind of guy that can build a defensive system and a culture of accountability that can really help turn guys like Zion and Jackson Hayes into defenders.
0: Yeah, you truly forget how great of a defensive coach he is. So Jared, I definitely agree to that point. I'm not a fan of the hiring, but you're kind of turning me into that direction of maybe it is a good hiring especially defensively. Um so, so, Jared, your colleague John Hollinger mentioned recently that the NBA free agent salary cap may be determined come early to mid-November, and then MBPA executive director Michelle Roberts mentioned that free agency may start no later than December 1st. So, with that being said, you know, Gordon Hayward is rumored, reported by you specifically, to be potentially moved to the Indiana Pacers for Victor Oladipo. Um, how likely is that Going to happen where you know Gordon Hayward goes back to his homeland. Oh, it's definitely not like
1: how you say homeland. <laughs> being from Indiana really is being from a homeland, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't put too much stock into that. As the person that reported it, um, I, you know, I wasn't reporting that that trade was something that was likely in the works. There definitely have been a lot of rumblings that the, that the Celtics and the Pacers are going to be exploring uh, a Gordon Hayward deal. I've heard a bunch of – I mean, that's that's kind of stuff that I've been hearing for a while now. I know that uh, – I think it was Zach Lowe just uh, did a podcast where he talked about it. I think I did my job recently, but Zach uh, is a lot more in than I am. So <laughs> he's probably
0: he, – you might be hearing it from the same people, honestly. I don't know, but um, I, we do know that there's going to be – that's something that's going to be explored pretty heavily. We, we absolutely know that. From gotcha. Okay, and, so, a follow, and a follow-up question to that, um, should Danny Ainge make a run at Miles Turner?
1: I don't think making a run at Miles Turner is a thing. Like, there's—I don't see it as a sweepstakes kind of thing. I think it's that the Pacers are going to want to move him because they. I mean, they just brought in—they they just brought in a coach that actually has a history of making it work with having two bigs out there. But the two bigs out there were—it was Pascal Siakam with a great either a Marcus Soul type who was like a brilliant screener, passer, that kind of thing or Serge Ibaka, who's either going to be shooting freeze or diving to the rim. right? so, Miles Turner and Devonta Sabonis just aren't going to have that kind of balance. So we know that Indiana's front office has been wanting to get faster for a while. It's part of why they're moving David on from uh, David Millen, besides the fact that David Millen just kind of hated the roster and didn't want to deal with this (laughs) guy. So, Miles Turner getting moved, I don't think it's about as much of a sweepstakes as much as just that if the Pacers have an opportunity to refine their offense to be faster paced, uh, slide T.J. Warren into the force into that four spot if they can keep him. I just think that's that's something that they're gonna look to. And Gordon Hayward I think is just the perfect guy for that. So a Hayward for Turner swap makes the most sense. I don't I don't think Oladipo is someone the Celtics really want. I, I don't think he's a fit for what his priorities are at this point in his career. I don't think he wants to come in somewhere where he's like clearly the fourth option. It right. doesn't make sense for him. But like he's gonna have to figure out he's gonna have he's gonna have to have a kind of GC because the, as talented as he is, he's only had one season where he proved that he was an elite talent. Otherwise, he's been hurt or was still developing. So, you know, at this point, he's had, he doesn't have enough, uh, he
2: doesn't have a, a strong enough resume to justify a team to confidently go all in on him at this
0: point. Totally agree.
2: So, um, so it, it actually worked out well um, that you covered the Miami Heat after the Celtics season was over. Obviously, we've been hearing a lot of rumblings with Giannis, um, especially after their. Second-round exit to the Heat, um, I know he had a uh, long meeting uh, with the Milwaukee Bucks ownership group, uh, with the owners, um, you know, just kind of, you know, I don't know what was talked about behind closed doors, but, um, you know, Giannis to the Heat has definitely been thrown out there um, as a possibility. Kind of a two-pronged question for me. Um, number one, do you think it's realistic that he goes to Miami um, or that he goes to another team or – you know, do you think he'll stay put? And then kind of the second prong to that question is, so it's basically what do you think he's going to do? And then after that, what do you think he should do to, to set him up for, you know, the best next, you know, whatever, four, five, six, seven years of his career? Yeah, that's the tricky part. Because, I mean, Milwaukee is a great
1: situation for him. He's happy there. You know, if you're if, – from Milwaukee's perspective, can you imagine getting the best player, you know, the biggest star of the league for the next generation? It'd be he's incredible being in Milwaukee. I mean, that's that's pretty special right there. So, from his perspective, he's got everything he wants there pretty much as far as a, a happy, satisfying situation. And then the question is, does he want more? And so, as far as what will happen, we know that the Heat are going to probably be able to position themselves to make a run. Dallas will also be able to do that. And Dallas, I mean, you know, play with Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis. <laughs> I think mean, that's all. Assuming Porzingis is still healthy, let's forget. Let's not forget Porzingis has another injury and now it's back, so you know, Porzingis being a huge question mark. So we'll see what happens there. But there are going to be some great options for Giannis. It's not going to be a compromising situation for him where it's like, if I leave, can I find somewhere else to really make something happen? This is going to be like LeBron leaving the Cavs, you know, for the Miami kind of thing. This is going to be like the decision, and we saw how it worked out for LeBron. I mean the execution of that TV special was terrible, but <laughs> the decision to leave Cleveland was the thing that allowed him to become one of the greats. So, you know, if Giannis is look, he's looking at this he's looking at the setup there in Milwaukee, and he's seeing that they don't have any key young players in the rotation besides Dante DiVincenzo though. Everybody else is old. Everyone else is either in their prime now or is aging out of their prime now. So they have to do they have to make a move this offseason. We know they want to get Chris Paul. Can they get Chris Paul? This is a huge question mark. Can they get Chris Paul without giving up enough assets that if Giannis were to leave, it would completely destroy the franchise as he ages out of his value? That's a huge question mark. I, I genuinely expect them to find, to figure out a way to somehow get Chris Paul, probably including DiVincenzo, Vincenzo, Eric Lenzo, a bunch of draft picks. I think they're going to do it, and I think it's going to a to mistake.
0: Yeah, I I honestly think Chris Paul would be a really helpful piece to him. Um, Let's talk about reverting back to the Celtics. Uh, They have some tweaks to definitely make on this roster, Jared. Um, You know, the three-point shooting and the pick-and-roll defense, as we saw against Milwaukee, was just really inconsistent across the board. So, I mean, where in your eyes do you think the Celtics can improve, and who is a player that you know could be on their radar? Yeah, I assume you mean
1: against
0: Miami. Yeah.
1: Toronto, too. Series, so I I do agree that not necessarily shooting is the issue, but just having another score, another guy, a threat, yeah, yeah, just another like someone else that isn't Brad Wanamaker that you can swing on the ball, you can actually make a play, someone that allows them, especially in the playoffs, to not be relying upon you know one of Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum to carry the offense the entire all 48 minutes, like sometimes. You just need to give all those guys a rest and have your gunner go off for a little bit. So, you know, it'd be cool if they could have an Alec Burks type who could do that. Um, but the problem is, you don't want that guy as someone you rely upon in your system because Alec Burks, we saw every once in a while he would go off, but then the Sixers would rely upon him in the fourth quarter and he would really crap. So, right? You know, they they gotta they definitely want to find somebody more balanced than that. The problem is, you know, if it's it's not going to come from in house. Um, I mean, being healthy so that you have all five of their best players, plus Daniel Tice out there. That makes a huge difference, obviously. And I, I think we all probably agree that they probably would have made the finals if Courtney Hayward never got hurt, and they were fully healthy the entire postseason. Um, but, you know, so, the, so we know that that's like, good enough to make the finals. Hey, might be good enough to win the title. But they definitely need, like, one more guy. And the most... All they're going to have to work with, besides trading off some of their younger guys' draft picks, is probably the tax mid-level exception, which is like five point six million. Assuming the cap stays where it is, yeah, that's usually not enough to get you like a well-rounded guy. That's enough to get you a guy that either is like a three and D player who could just spot up like a Justin Holiday, someone who I really like, although I think he's worth more money than that. Um, or it's going to get you like an Alec Burks type, which I mean, there's like. Um, yeah, DJ Augustine is one guy that's out there who's like a pretty experienced veteran that we know can really put him in the hoop. But he's also a five foot eleven point guard who doesn't play great defense. So right. there's a major compromise there. And sorry, five foot eleven, that's like if it's a really nice day outside, he's really you can really standing them tall. You know? he's he's a, he's a short guy. Right. So there's very few of those guys out there. Very few that are actually
2: like big enough wings that they can make an impact on defense. So whatever they do, it's gonna be a major. Uh, hey, Jared, um, just a quick follow-up question. Um, do you think there's any cause for concern um, about the Kemba Walker signing? I only ask that because, you know, that was a- another piece, right? So, got Kemba, Gordon, you know, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. But, you know, Miami really picked on him and, and Toronto really picked on him defensively uh, in those series. And offensively, he was pretty inconsistent, um, more on the side of, of-, of really not performing well and I understand that you know there were issues with his knee and, and coming back and, and and being fully healthy but do you think there's any cause for concern as far as the the um, signing of kemba just you know uh, and I know it's recency bias and you know who knows he might get off to a tear next year we might forget about it but do you think there's any cause for concern for the signing just how kind of exposed he, he got in the playoffs what's well, the problem is that
1: after he uh, after the all-star break he was bad there on out wasn't even just the playoffs, but I mean, he was struggling with the, with that knee injury. And the fact that his knee never healed after four months of, you know, rest and, and what should have been rehab, it's, it's very alarming. So the concern is the health part. Uh, I, I do think that, I was surprised to see how much he was struggling in the playoffs, but I do think that the knee played a big factor into it, because a lot of the shots that he usually would hit, he was front-rimming on all those, and that Usually, when you see someone doing that over and over and over again, somebody you know who's a great scorer that tells you, okay, well clearly you must be bothering him because he's not able to get the ball over the front of the rim. Right. So it's not like this is something he just he just needs to adjust his aim or something like that. You know, if you're you're out there golfing and you're getting sliced every single time, then you just aim for the left. You aim for the rough on the left side, and then boom, you're right in the
0: middle. It's That's something. my game, Jared. How do you know? That makes
1: sense. My game too. <laughs> I just what I do is I swing even harder until I start whiffing on it. So. Um, you know, there was clearly something off of Kemba. And the thing is, I think his defense was going to be... I didn't think his defense was bad. I thought his defense definitely got exposed in certain matchups, but he works his ass off and tries really hard, which is a lot more than I can say about a lot of other guys that are in that kind of situation. So I don't have a problem with his defense as long as he's actually converting it off. And he just wasn't. And so I don't think he played bad, but I think he played definitely average. And He's your max player. You need him. He's your all-star. You need him to play, at the very least, way above average if not great basketball. So it's concerning, for sure. The big, you know, one of the big questions is: this is the first time that he got out of the first round, and he went up against two great defensive teams. Is this who he is? Can he not? You know, he's an undersized four. Can he not score against these kind of defenses? Or it was just? Is this just? You know, it's a new level of defense he's never seen before in the NBA. He has to learn and he has to adjust and hopefully selfie next time. I, I'm going to bet on him, but uh, if it doesn't work out this year, then that's when you have to start drawing pretty concrete
0: conclusions. For sure. And, and, I mean, that was his, like, close to his first time being in the playoffs, deep into the playoffs. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what he does next season. But, Jared, we always want to close out our guest segment by promoting, you know, our guest's work, obviously. And I know you had some sit-downs with numerous NBA players, including Kemba Walker. Um, so, what are you currently working on aside from the athletic that you know you'd be willing to share?
1: Uh, well, <laughs> uh, everything I do is with the athletic, so there's nothing besides the athletic. Um, but uh, plenty of draft coverage coming up. i have been doing a series looking at free agent targets of the Celtics target with that mid-level exception. So I've done bigs, I've done point guards. Last one I'm gonna do is with wings. I'm gonna do that in the middle of this week. So. That should be out right around the time this podcast is coming out, and we have our big award series uh, that I was just talking about earlier we coming out soon on the athletics, So you can find all that over
0: there. Awesome. Well, uh, we we appreciate your time and hopping on talking about the seas. And like I said, hopefully the results change next year. Um, you know, they have the talent, and they just got to figure it out in the off season. So again, we appreciate your time, and uh, you know, uh, we definitely wish you best wishes during this COVID situation. Thanks, Jared.